Amazing. Okay, well, look, um, so uh, thank you so much, Lily, for jumping on the podcast and um, uh, and speaking with us. And, and thank you, Zoom, for joining us this time. Uh, so Coffee with the Recruiter podcast uh, and here, uh, Radically Digital. Uh, Lily, can you give us a little intro first to yourself and, and maybe before going into into the company, what it is, what it is you do at Radically? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Lovely to lovely to sit here today with you guys, and thanks for inviting me. Um, it's actually really nice to talk about myself rather than other people all day, <laughs> <laughs> as we do that for a living. But um, well, I am originally Bulgarian, um, as you probably won't be able to tell from my accent. But um, I actually left Bulgaria about twenty. Well, no, about fourteen, fifteen years ago. Um, in 20, 2009, lived in the States for about a year, give or take, uh, and then moved to the UK to do a bachelor's degree, um, graduated uh, from university and kind of landed a career in recruitment as, of course, one does without any any previous plans to do so. Um, but actually, my background is in communications and PR, journalism, and, you know, as an 18, 19 year old, kind of started off in hospitality, events management, etc. And when I started my career in recruitment, it was in-house uh, recruiting for a sales and marketing organization in a very high turnover uh, role where I think at that point I was hiring something like 100 people a week, give or take. Uh, or definitely interviewing at least that many. Um, and I did that for about four and a bit years. Uh, as I was working with that organization, one of their, um, I guess, delivery partners who owned a recruitment advertising agency really spotted me and offered me kind of a freelance gig along the lines of my regular career or regular job. Uh, so I started kind of tapping into recruitment advertising, content writing, um, initially um then about four and a half years into my internal uh recruitment role um the vice president of the sales and marketing organization i was working with really kind of offered me a position which now would be co-office of the ceo or chief of staff or whatever you might call it but at that point at that time i was just an executive assistant um i was really really lucky to be thrown in the deep end and exposed to a business that was working with a ton of startups so the next for and a bit years of my career, I was helping this organization build out uh, new businesses in the UK and the US from one perspective of kind of working on operations, but then also recruitment, helping hire and train recruiters, uh, building internal teams, but also setting up clients and setting up especially bootstrap start, start startups uh, to kind of build an internal recruitment capability. Um, and then on the side, I was still working with the recruitment advertising business, actually, uh, where my role turned into a lot more kind of, uh, I guess, client success and account management. So I was selling and buying recruitment media, negotiating deals and, you know, kind of really working with our clients, both on strategy, but then also on implementation. Uh, and then a pandemic hit. Um, and actually, uh, I feel, you know, very grateful that, you know, I was able to work throughout the pandemic, actually, and, and have very little downtime. Um, not in the same, of course, not in the same capacity as before, or not with the same velocity, but I was still kind of able to, you know, pick up projects and, and, and work with clients here and there. But what I very quickly kind of started feeling was a little bit of that 
lack of ability to influence and see my area of influence in the long term in an internal client. So kind of working with external clients, I felt like I've learned quite a bit in my, you know, they day job, I felt, you know, the, the recruitment advertising part was fantastic. But I really missed seeing a team start from scratch and or come in and build a team from a certain level to another level and kind of having that area of influence internally. Uh, tech at heart always kind of have been into tech and really interested into it. So it was just very, uh, uh, quite a kind of, I guess, natural for me to start thinking about how do I get into tech and do something I actually love um, and kind of be able to also focus and influence the company um, from early stages. Uh, so when I joined Rightly Digital, it was actually their first time acquisitions function. So prior to that, they had only been using an external, I guess, embedded partner into their hiring. Uh, actually, quite frankly, they had actually done a fantastic job hiring internally themselves uh, for the longest time. I think they had only used an embedded partner for the previous three to six months. Uh, I think when I joined, there were about 17 people already in the company. Um, and we ended up doubling in about 12 months time. Uh, and I can tell you a little bit more about that, but happy to tell you a little bit more about the company and what it does and we can kind of go into it. But um, I guess just to um, maybe wrap up the meat part and, of the section, been with the company for just over two years currently. Um, like I said, starting time acquisitions can progress quite quickly in terms of levels as you'd expect in a startup. But also, you know, I really felt like I was making quite a lot of impact and something that we value quite a bit. Uh, but most recently, my role has actually taken even a wider scope and a broader scope where I'm currently the head of people experience. And what that means internally for us is that I know not only look after talent, but also support with, um, I guess, our people operations functions and kind of look at the overall people strategy for the business as well. Um, and then who is Radically Digital? We call ourselves Rad, actually, for short. Um, I really like to see us as a boutique end-to-end -end tech consultancy really built from two fantastic co-founders co um, who really saw the need in the market for having a consultancy that does things slightly differently, but then also has a bit more of that people focus. So they both come from great consultancy backgrounds where they really appreciate um, I guess the experience that they've had in, in the, you know, Deloitte and slums of the world and, and, and PwCs, but what they really thought was that, you know, they would like to potentially build a consultancy that they would like to work for. And that's what they ended up doing. Um, so they built RAD or they started RAD in uh, late 2019, um, you know, two people kind of sitting together. Uh, I think at the start of pandemic, it was about seven of us. Uh, and we're currently sitting around 70 people split between our office here in London. And then actually in uh, March 21, in the middle of the pandemic, they also thought it was the, the perfect time to open up another um, another location in Lisbon. And that's where we have a smaller operations at the moment. Uh, company focuses predominantly on uh, software engineering services, product consultancy and design, but actually we've done a ton of work uh, and kind of continuing to invest and expanding our strategy or advisory arm. Um, and then future focus uh, over the next 12 months will also be putting some considerable investment into data and AI as well. Um, I guess what's really worth mentioning about RAD, I think, is the, uh, and I, I think I said it a couple of times, but that people first focus. Um, 
and we can go into that in a second of how we achieve that and wh what that is. But I think the, the, the really, it was really kind of life changing for me to see that there's a company where decisions are being made from that perspective of what, not only what's great for the bottom line, but how do we also make sure that we don't sacrifice our people experience just for that bottom line with the clients. Um, and I think we're like I mentioned about 70 people. I think last time we counted, we're just over 30 nationalities, uh, you know, speaking something like 40 languages across the team. It's a fantastic environment. In, Lind in London and, and Lisbon, right? Correct. That's right. So we have a few people kind of spread uh, in Portugal and a couple of people that live uh, that don't live in London in the UK, but predominantly our hubs are uh, around those locations. Uh, and we've just recently gone back to one day a week in the office. Um, so we do truly believe that, you know, collaboration in person is also a big part of our culture as well. And just, uh, I guess it was kind of a tricky time to, to to start. I mean, what was that kind of beginning of pandemic time period like? Because for a lot of companies, it mm -hmm. was kind of a difficult um, storm to, to weather. But what was the experience there like? Yeah, I mean, I always find this uh, like the best part of the story is I think, um, I think there were about four or five people and um, no, maybe about six or seven. And it was a Friday and they signed this, you know, one year contract for a bigger office space. And then the pandemic, like we went into lockdown on the Monday. Um, that sounds so, so familiar, right, Sue? We, oh, we were in a, long ago, We our company was in a, uh, the previous exactly company we were in, situation. was in literally yeah. signed a big contract <laughs> for a bigger place. And then, and then boom, we don't need it anymore, but we're locked in right. a year long <laughs> agreement. So sorry. Sorry to interrupt. It was just, it was just, I couldn't help myself, but point out the, uh, the irony, you know? No, that's, that's honestly so, so amazing. I didn't, I mean, I, you never think of it that way. Cause I think, you know, it's always so much more interesting when it's like a startup and they had these big hopes and dreams. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, something like that happens and you kind of feel like you're the only person in the room. But I think a lot of businesses, just like you said, were in a similar boat where um, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of maybe, kind of like ambiguity and lack of, um, I think lack of that gusto to be able to take risks. Um, I think what um, Bobby, our CEO and Oliver, uh, who is our CTO at the time, he's actually since left the business, but um, what they decided at that time is that rather than, you know, I guess folding or becoming paralyzed, um, by the lockdown, they've really quickly identified that, you know, they have a workforce that can work from anywhere and a, a decent enough culture and decent enough trust in their people to, to be able to deliver. And bear in mind, again, that's a six or seven person team. So very close knit, probably working on a couple of projects at the time. You know, our first client was Just Eat. So they were, you know, doing quite a lot of work uh, together with them and a couple other um, a couple other businesses that we were doing work here and there, but it was far easier to manage that smaller team as well. But I think what they did really well was double down on the idea that there's talent being put on furlough or being left, laid over. And rather than, you know, stopping, pausing any initiatives, they actually realized that there's a lot more incredible talent that's available in the market that might not be otherwise, right? So I think they took a very good calculated risk to continue hiring and kind of expanding that pool of, of, of knowledge. And of course, obviously being able to, to land new clients wasn't, you know, 
the important part here because as a consultancy, right, if we don't have the clients, um, it, it's far harder to be able to grow grow teams. But like I said, we doubled in about a year uh, since then. Um, I think we doubled the first year, doubled the second year. Um, yeah, I'm kind of growing, growing stronger from there. Uh, Zoom? Yeah, I just wanted to quickly jump in because you, you talked about recently reintroducing going back to the office one day a week. Yes. Um, so prior to the pandemic, were you were you office-based? Um, and how has that kind of shifted over the last couple of years? Because there's lots of businesses that are now, similar to yourself, moving back to, well, it doesn't sound like you're going to, you know, uh, full-time office space, but right. certainly trying to re-encourage people to come uh, come into the office at least once a week. And, and we're seeing a, a similar a similar kind of theme elsewhere. But how has that impacted your ability to to grow the team? Have you has mm-hmm. that been a challenge for you to attract talent? Given that a mm-hmm. lot of people now, after the pandemic, have realised we don't need to be in the office all the time. Um, and uh, how do you kind of navigate that obstacle? Mm-hmm. Well, historically, yes, like a, like like we were just discussing, we we did have an office originally, uh, and as the pandemic or the lockdowns hit, then nobody was really coming into an office. I think there was a period of time where we were kind of allowed to come in if we wanted to in a smaller group, uh, but realistically, most people were completely remotely for for a long period of time, um, and then. As things started easing off, I want to say sort of that May, June 21, perhaps, um, I think we kind of left a little bit more open for, for people to come in at their discretion and be able to really, you know, be as on site versus remote as they wanted to be. Um, and then kind of recently, I guess what the direction that we took was not because you know we didn't think that our people were doing a fantastic job working from home and it wasn't because somebody needed to be reprimanded etc but it was really from that idea that you know the culture that we're actually fostering um for the culture we're actually fostering it is important that people do build those relationships and have that one-to-one time in person and and becomes far easier for them to kind of continue supporting each other bring that value and bring that impact um, from a business perspective, and obviously client perspective as well. Quite frankly, our clients have been quite laid back in terms of how much they would like us to go on client sites as well. But from a client perspective, you know, more, most recently, our clients have started um, asking us to be more present in person in workshops and certain meetings. So it did, it did just make natural sense for us to kind of come back to that, um, yeah, that, that one day a week working together um, and it's been about six weeks or so, give or take. I'm, I'm going to lie if I say that we assume that everyone's going to be completely ecstatic about it and completely happy. And, and I would also lie if I didn't say that I think we worried way too much for certain things as well. Uh, but in the last five or six weeks, people have really kind of shared feedback that they've missed a lot of that, um, yeah, that opportunity to meet in person. Um, and it hasn't actually impacted our ability to grow uh, Zoom. Actually, quite interestingly, in London, and I'll give you the comparison with Lisbon here, but in London, more often than other people that we speak to would prefer a hybrid way of working versus a fully remote way of working. Uh, in Lisbon, it kind of really depends, well, in, in Portugal in general, it kind of really depends on what part of Portugal they're in. The people in Lisbon, probably slightly more hesitant, but I think what our, again, overall company direction and structure is that um, I guess we explained the why really well and people really rally ac- along with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So yeah. um, overall, it's been quite positive thus far, I think. Awesome. Sure, sure. And I mean, whether people work better remote or on site or hybrid, I mean, different approaches. I mean, everyone's somewhat different, right? So I'm um, mm. trying to find a one size fits all type type approach. I mean, it, it's always going to be some some people might always, you know, if you do fully remote, then the on site people will be you know, upset. If you do fully on site, then the remote people might be upset. So finding that Middle ground is tricky, but yeah, I mean, at least a day a week sounds sounds reasonable, all things um, uh, considered. Um, and and you know, to 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 your point, I do believe that uh, although you can build great relationships online, I'm sure there's a lot of apps that you can use, or just Zoom or Google Meet, etc., that you can use, and you can build those uh, relationships. I mean, um, I mean, you you could say that so much more can also or not a lot more, but a lot of stuff can get done um, uh, on site through those face-to-face -face interactions where you're building reports and you're, uh, you know, you always hear about those water cooler chats where informally uh, outside of meetings, just people are catching up on work and, you know, getting through those breakthrough moments. So there's, there's something to, uh, and also just, again, coming back to the report building, right? Because you know, you uh, it's important to when you want to get stuff done to to build rapport, get along, and and build those relationships that you know that helps get projects through. That helps uh, you know if you got a thing you got to do and it relies on someone else, then building that relationship definitely definitely helps. And sometimes in person helps a bit better than than via via video, right? So uh, so you know you could argue from that perspective. But yeah, I'm sure you've you've kind of encountered the whole spectrum of on-site remote hybrid by by now with with radically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think you touched on a really good point there. I think there are a couple of things here to mention. One is one size certainly doesn't fit all, and and, and we never think it will. Um, a lot of our decisions here are certainly based on feedback and certainly based on you know what's best for the team. But also, it is a business, and sometimes we have to make decisions to make you know, the most sense for everybody involved in order for us to guarantee the sustainability of the business as well. So I think when we looked at the feedback of people actually wanting to come back to the office or wanting more of the social engagement or more wanting more of that, we have to also balance it out with how does that make sense from, you know, an operational perspective versus how does that make sense to, you know, perhaps the people that prefer that remote working. Um, we we kind of actually have that saying here, so I think it's in our culture doc as well, but, um, you know, not a, 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 it's not a democracy, right? Not every not every decision is a democracy, but we'll always strive to do what's in the best interest for the wider for the wider team. Um, yeah, I guess um, that's that's that part in a nutshell. And you mentioned the uh, the feedback kind of understanding mm -hmm. what what people want. Piece. I'm curious to know what what makes radically a a great place to work. What you know, you've mentioned a couple of things. The people first. Mm -hmm type approach, but in a broad sense, kind of what makes it a great, great workplace? Yeah, uh, thanks for that question, actually. Um, you know what, it's really funny, anytime I have to, to speak to why I think Brad is a good place to work or what I know from you know, my practice and my experience, because, uh, you know, there are so many buzzwords thrown out there in our space these days, right? A lot of people kind of strive to be this, but not actually 
being a living example of those values or uh, of those standards. I think the the one thing I really, really appreciated about Rad was that it created an opportunity for myself, and I hear that from pretty much everybody that we hire. Um, it created an opportunity for my voice to be fully heard and for myself to, and, and, you know, the team to always have the space to come up to the table with solutions and really feel like they can make an impact from day one, no matter their seniority, no matter their background. Um, also, you know, be able to have suggestions and solutions for cross-functional projects or cross-functional initiatives that, you know, perhaps are not in their kind of main day-to-day um, uh, work stream. Um, but also, as a, you know, as a, as, a, as a woman, I think it was really, really exciting also to see that, you know, you, you can bring your authentic self and your ideas are heard, listened to, and actually implemented. Um, so I had, you know, blue sky in terms of setting up uh, the talent team and, don't get me wrong, nobody really works in unison here, right? It's always a collaboration and it's always, uh, there's always a ton of support. Uh, but people really have what we call the trust and responsibility of working here, right? So they're trusted to um, deliver on the work in the best possible way that they can and understanding that they have the responsibility for the common good of the company by doing so. Um, and we really truly believe in that and we truly operate in that way, I think. Uh, we really value productivity, collaboration, but our three values are, you know, curiosity, inclusion, and impact. I speak a lot about impact because it's obviously the way we demonstrate, or the easiest one to demonstrate, I suppose. But, you know, uh, I- I- inclusion, I don't think will be where we're at without the diverse team that we have. Um, and then curiosity, I think just baking, you know, baking everything with the, uh, with the I guess, the, the wonder of a five-year-old um, so again, just having that ability to be curious about what else is going in the company. How can we contribute? How can we how can we um, add to the mission and the vision? Um, and of course, we have you know a, a very good people offering. Like I mentioned, a quite flexible way of working in that sense. Um, um, the standard benefits of making sure people are taken care of from you know a well being perspective and. Um, I guess having a having an, a, a good set of just yes, I guess additional perks. Um, but as a, as a growing business, we fully know that you know we're not in the position to be able to offer you know maybe a competitive salary to the Facebooks, sorry, the Metas of the world and the Googles of the world. So what we really hone down on is creating an environment where people feel like they have the opportunity to grow, progress are challenged and are able to kind of see that and see that in the wider company as well. True. Yeah. And I'm curious to, I'm curious to know, I'm curious to understand a bit more on that, mm-hmm. um, on what the ideal person uh, would mm-hmm. be like, you know, what types of candidates do you, do you look for? What type of people would naturally thrive in the, um, in the, in the rad environment, right? Because mm-hmm. I suppose you, you want to, um, uh, uh, as a recruiter, maybe you want to get as many applications, but at some point, obviously, it's it's the role also to filter. You have an interview process to that that you know ultimately has to rule people out uh, and rule people mm-hmm. in. Curious to know kind of what you what what is your team, what does the company look for generally speaking, and I guess it kind of brings back a little bit the alignment with with the values you mentioned. But mm-hmm. but could you give you know for for any candidates listening your take on this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think 
when I was building the talent practice at Rad specifically, and I'm going to talk to about my experience as well, was that I was really, really adamant on us creating a, a practice that is equally fair to everybody and then allows people from any and every background to be considered because of their abilities and their potential versus you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, like I always call it pedigree of background of where they come from in terms of companies, et cetera, but also things like, you know, um, educational backgrounds, et cetera. So in terms of the types of talent that we, we look for, uh, it's quite broad in the sense of, you know, you don't need to have gone to MIT or some other, you know, top-notch engineering university, quite the opposite. We actually have a ton of career changers uh, probably about 50% of our company. Uh, I think about 50% of our company are, uh, I guess, BAME or people from mixed backgrounds. Um, and we're about, we're on track to be about 50% female as well. So we're thinking, sitting about 40% female as well. Um, but we are still very selective. I think something like 2% of people, if not less, passed our interview process. Um, a lot of what we look for is not just, again, the technical ability for roles, but it's also that cultural fit and that cultural add. Um, we truly believe that one, as consultants, it's just as important for us to be able to communicate uh, with stakeholders and be able to kind of influence and bring those solutions to the table that it is to be able to physically build them. And we do truly believe that those human skills are um sometimes if not even more important um, when we're screening and, and interviewing candidates. But we also do believe that technical skills can be trained. So we do actually invest quite a lot in our L&D opportunities. Uh, and we also really do look at, you know, what is the kind of trade-off for someone coming in, having those fantastic human skills versus perhaps needing a little bit more support with, with the technical. Um, so in terms of a team, I think, from talent perspective, there's three of us. I'm still quite hands-on, currently supporting predominantly with more senior roles, but um, I have a fantastic colleague here in the UK and then one in Portugal. Um, and the rest of the hiring teams kind of go across obviously all the different departments. One thing we really make sure we always have is a very diverse panel of interviewers um, where our teams could actually one, you know, provide different perspectives from, from, from a few different directions. But then also, we also think it's very important for the candidate to be able to see that representation and be able to see the, the different types of people that they might be working with rather than, you know, the couple of managers that they perhaps might be meeting in an interview process as well. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, you talked about some really interesting points there, and I, I think this whole kind of conversation around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging mm -hmm. is one that will carry on for a long, long time. But yeah. something that you talked about, which I thought was really interesting, is the fact that you are already achieving or, or performing fairly well from a diversity perspective, but you are still very selective in your interview process. And it feels like a lot of companies see the two as mutually exclusive. They, they just can't happen at, you know, at the right. same time. Um, and so whilst I know there isn't a silver bullet when it comes to diversity and inclusion, mm. is there something that you feel Rad has done particularly well in order to mm -hmm. get to that point? Um, I'm sure it's not down to just luck because it yeah. never is. But, you know, what what do you feel has been the most impactful in order to be as selective as you are, but also still have a diverse team? 
Yeah, great question. And I guess I would throw another mix here or an, another fact in the mix. We are a three-year-old company. So our brand, although fantastic, is not really well known. So we, of course, have to battle with, um, I guess, how well recognized we are on the market or were back in the day versus now, right? So a lot of people have had to kind of vote or give us a lot of that confidence vote to start off with. I'm always very careful about how I talk about diversity and inclusion because I, again, I, I really, do, like you said, it's a big conversation. Um, but I also have seen, you know, companies kind of put effort into it because again, it's the, the newest, shiniest um, thing to talk about. I think I truly believe that we live and breathe these values of inclusion. Um, I think again, having that focus on, hiring very from very diverse backgrounds and being open to a lot of career switchers has definitely been what's provided us with as much opportunity to be as broad but also selective um can i tell you that we do something super deliberate to do that i don't think so and i'm always very cautious about that and um maybe luck but i think actually a lot of good ingredients sprinkled and cooked really early on to kind of be able to provide that example and provide that mix of people. Um, yeah, I think, I guess that's kind of how I see it. Um, and of course, providing, you know, opportunities for as many diverse people to be part of the conversation and part of the process. Yeah, sounds good. And I, I think that that final point is what, in my opinion, most companies miss out on it. It's kind of having that net as wide as possible in the first place. If you're not attracting enough diversity and you're at the top of the funnel, um, you're never going to kind of achieve those diversity goals. So that sounds awesome. Thank you. Well, well, on that note, Lily, and uh, you know, for you know, curious to know what types of roles you you guys mm -hmm. are are looking for, and and for more information, where can candidates go just to just to get an idea? Yeah, great. Um, well, like I mentioned, we we like to see ourselves as an end-to-end -end consultancy company. Um, we're hiring across all levels of engineering, pretty much always. Um, but besides that, like we have a very strong product consulting practice as well, and a design practice. And we always, you know, welcome fantastic talent from from all sorts of backgrounds into them. Um, but on top of that, we also have a gem of an operational team that I don't think any of us would be here without. So we hire across the board. All the over open roles are always on our website, um, LinkedIn. We feel free to connect on LinkedIn, but we also have a um, fantastic presence on Instagram. And I'm always happy to connect with candidates and then do my best to still speak to them directly as well. So feel free to connect with me directly as well on LinkedIn as well. Of course, of course, and for the people listening, I'll add the uh, careers page and, and maybe jobs list in the episode uh, description. Uh, well, look, Lily, um, it was amazing speaking with you. Uh, you know, I'm very happy to have learned about Radically and all the amazing things you, you've done at, at the company. And definitely it's an achievement to, to, to get to that stage where the company has good representation across, you know, different areas and keen to see where, where the company goes from here. So thank you so much.